Let's settle into God's word, chapter 14 of John's gospel. If you're new with us, we've been walking through this, uh, this gospel for some time now, and we get to this, we get to this lesson this morning where Jesus says these, these troubling words and then calls us not to be troubled. So we're gonna walk through that together uh, and just take a, a break from the festivities. Let's listen now, chapter 14, verses one through 14. Hear now God's word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself and where I am, you may also be. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do also the, the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So as I said, I titled this morning's passage, Troubles. And I'll confess that um, you typically wouldn't expect to tackle that kind of topic on the 4th of July, right? Because today is the kind of day where traditionally we set aside our troubles, Whatever troubles you have inside or whatever troubles we face as a nation with your family or your friends, your neighbors, we typically hit the pause button on a weekend like this and stop and enjoy the fireworks. But humor me for just a minute. This is the first line of our lesson this morning. So let's ask the question, when was the last time you were really troubled? In fact, think over just your past week with me, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe even this morning. Where did anxiety or, or concern slip into your day-to-day? -day? Where did worry slip through the cracks back into your life? Maybe it's a problem that you can't fix. Or maybe some kind of unique stress with your job or a conflict that won't go away. Something you didn't see coming. What is it that's given your heart trouble? Jesus teaches us this, this really powerful lesson this morning. You can already see where I'm going with this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. The operative Greek word is tarasso. Look at this up on the screens. If we were to really boil down the, the meaning of that word, it means to stir up, to cause emotional distress or turbulence or disquiet in your life. What is it that causes your heart to be stirred up? Makes me think of fishing on the Gallatin. You know, when you're out on the water, you can typically see like every rock under the surface this time of year, right? It's crystal clear. But you ever walk close to a friend on the river as they are in front of you and their boots stir up all the sediment and the moss from the riverbed? 
the entire game changes, right? That water gets so cloudy, you don't know if you're stepping in a hole or on solid ground. And I think that's a really good word picture for what Jesus is getting at in our lesson. He says, let not your hearts be stirred up, troubled. But there's a specific reason for this trouble. I want us to dig in here. Context is super important. Last week, Dean opened us up to this story of the Last Supper right before this happened. He's, Jesus is with his disciples. They're breaking bread. It's the feast of the Passover. Remember, that was a day of celebration and freedom, much like today, the 4th of July. But somewhere in the midst of that evening, Jesus begins to say these troubling things. Right in the midst of this feast, he stirs up the room. We like to think of Jesus as the, the counselor or the consoler, the, the peacemaker. But in this moment, at this table, the dynamics of the entire day shift and things start to get really uncomfortable, troubling. First, Jesus washes Peter's feet and that in and of itself, we learned last week, that was make, made things all kinds of awkward. Peter doesn't even know how to respond to that. But then Jesus makes this shocking claim. He tells the disciples, you know why I just washed those feet, right? Some of you are unclean. If you have your Bibles or we'll put it up on the screen here, look at this chapter 13, verse 11. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. But then just as Jesus calls out the sin in this room, he then tells his followers even more troubling news. He says, by the way, I'm leaving you soon. And where I'm going, you can't come, at least not for now. Imagine for years you've given up everything to follow Jesus. And just as things seem to be running in grease grooves, he tells you, I'm out. This is the end of the road. Some of you are covered in sin, Jesus says. And by the way, I'm soon leaving. This is the last thing the disciples expected. It threw everything off. And it gets worse, right? Because then with all the friends gathered around, Jesus now gets really specific about what this departure is going to look like. And he drops this sort of prophetic bomb, this indictment that none of them could have seen coming. He tells them when all of this goes down, two of the men in this room are going to be remembered for eternity and turning their backs on me. He said, one of you will betray me. The other will deny you ever even knew me. It's the feast of the Passover, right? It's a day of celebration. And Jesus just poured water on the festivities. Just try to put yourself in that room, right? There's three troubling strikes all at once. None of you are clean. Two of you will fail me in your faith. And where I'm going, you can't come. Let me spin this a bit differently for a minute. Just imagine like a dim lit theater with your friends. And as you sit waiting for the feature film, you begin to hear an antique reel scrolling behind you. Suddenly up on the screen, you, you, you notice that there's a picture and as the film begins scrolling, you realize this is a movie about you. It starts at your childhood and sort of one scene at a time plays out. But soon to your embarrassment, the, the film begins to reveal the not so proud moments of your life. The ones where you wish the, the, those memories would have been left out of the director's cut. The ones you might have, things you might have said that would have denied Christ or things you might have done that would have betrayed him with your actions. Everyone is watching. How would you react? See, Judas was so upset at what Jesus had just told him that he got up and left the room. God's word tells us he immediately walked back into the night. Exit stage left, he's gone. Meanwhile, Peter stands there, he's, he's dumbfounded. In his mind, he had just told the Lord, I'll die for you, I'm willing to lay my life down. But right there in front of everyone, Christ tells him, you have no idea what you're saying, Peter. 
Your faith is fickle. In fact, it's so weak that when the fires get hot, you'll deny me. So much for the festival. I mean, this is a troubling word. Just imagine tonight, you're hanging out with your friends or your neighbors in the backyard. Lee Greenwood is playing in the background. And a neighbor starts up a conversation about all of America's past brokenness and controversies. How would that go down? Not at my house. Jesus starts with this troubling talk right in the midst of this freedom festival. He says, I'm leaving you soon. And on my way out, two of you will fail the test. Because not all of you are living lives of faithfulness. That kind of talk stirs the heart up, doesn't it? Reminds me of that moment when Isaiah sees this vision. You know the one. He describes the scene where the glory of the Lord comes to him and, and he says, God was sitting up on this throne. The train of his robe filled the temple courts. Above him stood these angels with their faces covered from his glory. The foundation of the place shook at God's voice. Smoke billowing in the air. And while you would think this would be an awesome sort of awe-inspiring moment of worship and praise, Isaiah is overcome, troubled. Listen to how stirred up he gets. Look at this up on the screens. He says, woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I gotta get out of here. All of us, we can all look back and find those cringeworthy moments, Right? Those memories that we wish we could rewrite, those, those days where it's clear we denied Jesus with our walk or we betrayed him outright with, with our actions, that's a troubling baggage to carry. Some of us have seen this quote before, but it's, it's worth sharing again. Look at this up. Brennan Manning once said it like this. He said, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny them by their lifestyle. What do we do with that kind of trouble? C.S. Lewis once wrote a book called The Silver Chair and in it he tells a story about this, this young girl named Jill. And Jill walks into this place at the top of this high mountain and it's full of beauty and, and mystery except for there's one major problem. There's no water. Jill is so parched that she's desperate. She's looking everywhere high and low for a stream or pond or something of sustenance but she can't find it. But somewhere along the searching, Jill finally sees this spring-fed stream cutting through the forest, and she's giddy. She goes running down the hill to, to get her drink, but as she comes to the clearing in the forest, she stumbles on a lion of all things. She's so close to the water, she can taste it. She knows she needs a drink, but, but now she's terrified. You might say, stirred up. The lion asks her, he says, are you thirsty? She said, I'm dying of thirst. The lion said, well, then by all means, drink. But she's so scared of the animal, she's frozen. She begins bargaining with him. She said, well, first, would you mind going away so that I can do this in safety? The lion said, no, this is my forest. I'm not leaving. Jill then said, well, okay, well, at least promise me you won't do anything if I walk over to the water. The lion said, I'm a lion. I can't make those promises. Jill is so dehydrated, she's desperate, right? And so she begins to inch towards the stream. But now she's so close to the lion, she could touch him. And trembling, she asked the lion, she said, just tell me this at least, are you safe? The lion laughed, he said, I've swallowed up emperors and kings. He said, I don't know if I'd use the word safe. Jill said, well, then I don't dare drink, I'll look for another stream. Now here's where the story gets real. Listen to the punchline. The lion turned his head towards her. He said, don't you realize there is no other stream? How is it that the God that we serve 
has the power and the reason to enact justice immediately on our wayward life. And yet that same God offers this love for you and I to come and drink from the stream. Jesus looks at Peter and the disciples and he point blank tells them, I know what I've just told you is difficult to hear, but let not your hearts be troubled. And in the same breath, Christ begins teaching the disciples of this tangible place he's about to go. He calls it the Father's house. He said, put your faith in me and it's yours. Despite all your baggage, despite your woundedness or your brokenness, whatever it is that's playing out on that old screen, Jesus said, let it go. Let not your hearts be troubled. Specifically, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you might be too. But here's the catch. The only way to the everlasting water is to put your trust in the lion. The same God who is righteous and almighty and holy and just is somehow also forgiving and merciful and loving beyond our comprehension. Thomas said, Lord, we have no idea where you're going. How are we gonna get there? And thank God for Thomas and his honesty, right? Because now we find an answer to our troubled hearts. Jesus tells Thomas, rather than get stirred up, here's your comforting word. I am the way and the truth and the life. Like that line, if you want to come to the Father, the only way to do so is through me. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at those three attributes of Jesus. What does it look like for us to put our, our troubles behind us and instead to put our trust and our focus on the way, the truth, and the life? Let's just break this down for a minute. First, Jesus said, if you're lost, I'm the way. Jen and I were on our way back from Colorado from the wedding last week. And because we were already in the mountains, Google Maps told us the fastest way home was on this like assortment of roads pointing north. I studied all the highways and I had never came up from Colorado before, but it looked legit. Started in Meeker, Colorado, then up to Rock Springs, then Jackson, Wyoming, and then over to West Yellowstone and home. Well, that morning, just after a few hours, we found ourselves miles, and I mean miles from civilization. It was desolate. We hadn't seen a gas stop for hours. And just about the time we were getting used to this desert, the highway suddenly turns into an off-grid dirt road. Now we took this path because we were told there was construction on another road with dirt we were trying to avoid. Jen said, how, further, how much further are we gonna take this? We're going up into this canyon. She said, we're putting a lot of trust in Google right now. And the further down we went down this road, I'm thinking, we're going to run out of gas. We're going to die here in the middle of the desert. So we go over this mountains. We pop out the other side. And sure enough, there's the paved road again. Google had it. But the disciples, they find themselves in this same moment of disorientation. They thought it would be smooth roads and predictable paths up ahead. And Jesus tells them, I'm leaving you. Thomas said, we have no clue where you're going. How is this going to work? He wants all the details. And we know that the first step and healing a troubled heart is setting your feet back on the right path again, right? But Jesus tells Thomas, you're seeing it all wrong. It's not about where I'm going. It's about who I am. I am the way. I'm your path. You know, as you look at the movie reel, that is your life. There's no other way of redemption. There is no other path that which we would truly find forgiveness and restoration from our sin. See, this is an important nuance we need to cling to. Christ isn't just the map by which we live our lives. He's the one who made a way where there was no way. 
Stop and really sit with this for a minute. Jesus, knowing his friend would betray him for cash, knowing that, that Peter would chicken out before the rooster crows, he says, I'm still going to the cross for you. That same one whose word reveals the, the troubling sin in our lives in the same sentence promises us a way out. We know what it is to be Jill. We know what it is to be parched and, and weary in our brokenness. We know what it is to be Peter, to have every intention to follow Jesus and yet also know we will fail him. But if you want the water, if you want the healing, the path is Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus said, I am the way. And he's the only one on this planet who can make that claim because Jesus is also the truth. You know, today we live in this world that rejects that term. Pontius Pilate once asked, what is truth? And I think our world today would, would join him in that question. We'd much prefer relative ideas than, than absolutes. Big T truth makes us nervous. What did Jesus mean when he called himself the truth? Well, J.P. Moreland, who's a Christian philosopher, he wrote about a, a debate he's had with a University of Vermont student years ago. Moreland was talking about the importance of truth in this, this lecture when the student stood up and interrupted him. He said, Professor, here's how I see it. He said, what's true for you is true. That's fine. And what's true for me, that's true. No one should ever put their views on other people. Truth is relative. Well, Moreland stopped his lecture. He, he walked across the room, unplugged the student's laptop, closed it, and started out the door with it. The student said, whoa, time out. Wait a minute. What are you doing? Moreland said, well, you're not going to force your belief on me that it's wrong to steal, are you? It's all relative, isn't it? So you think as, as convenient as it is to, to believe in such contradictions, Jesus gives us this claim that's entirely contradictory. He says, I am the truth. And in seeing Christ, we then see God. And in seeing God, we see absolute, everlasting, perfect truth for our lives. Put yourself back in Peter's shoes for a minute. Jesus has turned water into wine. He's healed an fisher's son. He's multiplied loaves and fish. He's walked out on the water. He's healed the blind man. He's raised the dead. And through all of it, the disciples are now standing in the presence of God. But they have no idea how significant this really is. Jesus says, I'm the truth. Whatever lies your heart is wrestling with, Christ says, leave them. Turn the news off. Turn the phone off. Turn the chaos off that is your life. Turn off the past mistakes that keep playing in your head and open the truth of God's word. Seek first my kingdom and watch as your troubled heart begins to heal. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. And when you seek me, you'll quickly realize I am the life. Bob Goff wrote a, a book called Everybody Always. And in it, he tells this story about his family's favorite restaurant called Chuck E. Cheese. Remember that place? Why is it just, just as the words Chuck E. Cheese make us chuckle? Like they, they put a mouse together with pizza and somehow made it work. You know, um, in this story, Bob talks about how his kids used to go there for birthdays and, and not for the pizza, of course, but for the, ch the tickets. And they play this game called skee-ball. You know the one. And he was a champion at it. Over the years, he said he saved thousands of tickets. But finally, the day came for him to cash in his loot. So he walked up to the counter and handed all of his tickets to the employee. His employee counted them all up. He told Bob, he said, with all these earnings, you can buy yourself a pencil. And Bob was shocked. He said, that's it, a pencil? He said, yep, that's all you have. You have enough tickets to buy this fancy pencil. You know, I think often we, we look at Christ a lot like we look at those tickets. 
When we do good things, we store them up in order to cash them in as though somehow our good deeds might outweigh our not so good deeds. But one day when we take our last breath on this earth, we're gonna find that when it comes to salvation, those tickets are meaningless. Our best day will never be good enough. Unless Jesus washes our sin away, we will never come out clean enough. And yet hear this, this is part two. Our worst day will never be bad enough to keep us from him. That's the God we serve, right? The one that doesn't stop at our brokenness, that doesn't even see our brokenness. If you put your faith in Christ, all he sees is his son on that cross. Jesus didn't come to this planet to burden hearts. He said in Matthew's gospel, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the God we serve. You know, I find it no coincidence that, that as Jesus is talking with these disciples about his pending death, he makes a claim that only God can make and tells them, I'm life. Whatever burdens you bear, whatever struggles you carry, Jesus wants us to put an end to all of it such that you and I would have life and life abundant. So tonight, this is my charge for us. As we celebrate the, the freedoms that we have in this country responsibly so as not to start fires, Here's my challenge. Take a moment and give God thanks for the freedoms you have in Christ. Whatever it is that has your heart troubled, our invitation is to leave it. Not because it's the 4th of July, but because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Pray with me. So God, we, we do just take our burdens, Lord. We lay them at the feet of your cross. God, we know that you have called us to do good things in your name, not because we need to earn our salvation, Lord, but out of gratitude for what you've done for us. Lord, so we just confess like the, the times where we've tried to clean up our own mess, Lord, where we've tried to use our works to, to build up our own kingdoms. And Lord, we just leave it all with you. God, we confess we need you. We are dying of thirst. Lord, we thank you for the invitation to come to the water. We thank you that even though you are all powerful, you are also all good. Even though you enact justice, you also enact mercy. So God, would you help us this week to live our lives free and bold for you. God, lead us, guide us. You are the way, you are our truth, and therefore you are the life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.